A reading from the book of Nehemiah. The priests, Levites, gatekeepers, temple singers, some of the people, temple servants, and all Israel settled in their towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich and drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people saying, Be still since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration because they understood the words that were explained to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. morning. You ever have those moments where you stop and say, is this a dream or did this just happen? Well, this morning uh, when I got up to introduce myself, I introduced myself as Pooh, (laughs) as in Pooh Bear. My name's really Paul, and I'm the senior pastor here, and so that's what Drew was referencing. And they're going to make a meme out of it. They had such a chuckle at the 9 a.m. That really did happen. Even visitors were like, it was such a good time with you today, Pooh Bear. (laughs) And so it happened, and it was hysterical. Uh, We are excited to continue to make our way through the book of Nehemiah today. We're uh, looking at the end of chapter 7 and then entering into chapter 8. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to be sharing about joy, radiant joy. Could you use some joy in your life today? Let me begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever experienced the joy of relationship? 
as shared in the devotional Our Daily Bread. The early Native Americans had a unique practice of training young men. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing skills, he would be put to one final test. He would be placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he never would have been away from the security of his family and the tribe. But on that night, the boy would be blindfolded, taken several miles away. And when he would finally take off the blindfold, he'd be in the middle of a thick forest and terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he would visualize a wild animal ready to pounce and come for his very life. And then after what seemed like an eternity, dawn would break and the first rays of sunlight would enter the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy would then see the flowers. He'd see the trees and he'd see the path right in front of him. Then to his utter astonishment, the boy would behold the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and an arrow. It would be his father. His father would have been there watching over him all night long. Have you ever experienced the joy of relationship? Or perhaps in light of this story, perhaps a better way to ask the question is this. Have you ever experienced the joy of protection in relationship? This gets to the heart of our passage today this notion of protection and ever-present care, which leads us to our big idea from Nehemiah 8, which is this. When God's word lands in your heart, what bursts forth is raw humility and radiant joy. When God's word lands in your heart, what bursts forth is raw humility and radiant joy. And we're gonna unpack this big idea through three quick points. Point one, be hungry in your faith journey. Point two, be humble in your faith journey. And point three, be joyful in your faith journey. So let's dive into God's word together. Point one, be hungry in your faith journey. Our passage begins, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On that first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon. That's a long sermon. Before the men, the women, and all those who could understand, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Friends, no matter who you are, be hungry in your faith journey. A little background on our passage for those who are new visiting with us today. Nehemiah, this book we're reading from, Nehemiah is a little book found in the Old Testament that captures the story of Israel, led by a guy named Nehemiah, trying to rebuild the capital city of the people of God, Jerusalem. 
following a long period of time where they had been destroyed and exiled by the Babylonians, Israel is still under foreign rule by another nation, not Babylon, but another nation at the time of this book, still with the blessing of that nation, a remnant is able to go back and return to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls, aiming not only to return to their roots, but return to their relationship with God. You see, as a band of misfits, generations before Israel had been chosen by God to not only receive the blessings of God, but then extend them to the very ends of the earth. And we read this over and over again, Genesis 12 and on. However, as we like to say here at One Fellowship, humans are going to human. And Israel and its people had given their hearts to other gods and other idols throughout the years. Had they given their hearts to envy, you might ask? Yes, check. Their hearts to lust, check. To ego, check. To finding their identity in what they had versus who they had or who had them, check. To basic rugged self-reliance, check. You name it, they had done it. And before you think you and I could have done better, listen, we need to check ourselves. For it's C.S. Lewis who once wrote, we are all far too easily pleased. And so the Israelites, by this time, were experiencing a painful and dangerous disconnection between God and themselves. Like the little Native American boy in our opening story, they found themselves in the dark, believing they were all alone, which brings us to today's passage. Friends, did you catch the intentionality of the people as they banded together and took action in Nehemiah 8? Quote, they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. So who is this Ezra character? Well, according to the book of Ezra, chapter seven, verse six, we read, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. In other words, Ezra was a priest who had returned with a remnant to Jerusalem, and he was known to be favored by God, a man after God's own heart, so to speak. And with that knowledge, the people in our passage say, you know what? Summon Ezra. We want to hear the word of God from him. Now note this. Ezra first doesn't call for the people to hear the word of God. That's not the order we see. No, the people summon Ezra to hear from the word of God. There's a holy hunger right out of the gate in our passage today by the people of God for what? The word of God. And it, if we're thoughtful, it should make us stop and ask this question. Are we hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry for the word of God? Especially in seasons of disconnection and darkness, do you first turn to the word of God or do you turn to something or someone else? Friends, how many, how many times a day do you think the average American looks at their smartphone? 80 times a day. And how many ads do you think the average American sees each day? Over 4,000 ads a day. Do you think the world is trying to capitalize on your hunger and my hunger? 
The question is not whether we are hungry. The question is to whom or to what do we turn to in our hunger? And so, like we see in our passage with the people, let us start by hungering for the word of God. Let's start there. Now, before we go to point two, there's something else we need to see. Who exactly is hungry in our passage for the word of God? Well, look again at this passage. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Ezra. And then jumping down in our passage, while he was facing uh, the square in front of the water gate, he'd read from it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. So let me ask, was it just the dudes who were hungry for the word of God? Was it just the men and women who were hungry for the word of God? No, we read it was the men, the women, and all who could understand. So this huge gathering included kids and students. That's what every single theologian I read this last week says. Listen, you are never too young to hunger for the word of God. Don't ever let anyone, including some still voice in your own mind, tell you otherwise. Hunger for the word of God, Emily. That's why here at One Fellowship, we place a really high value on our kids and student ministries. Listen, whether you have kids or not, we believe it's our covenantal biblical responsibility to saturate the coming generations with the word of God, letting them know they are part of a bigger story and they are loved with an everlasting love. He does love us like that. He loves you like that. We're all part of a bigger story and he loves each one of us. God, God loves you. Some of you need to hear that today. God loves you with an ever-watchful, ever-caring kind of love. So point one, be hungry. Hayden, be hungry in your faith journey. And to this end, listen, church, listen, parents, be intentional in your hunger to include friends and kids and others. Let's do this together. This leads us to point two, be humble in your journey. This week, I came across a powerful story about the late evangelist D.L. Moody. Anyone heard of D.L. Moody before? Anyone go to Moody Bible? Yes, our own Molly Welling went to Moody Bible. Well, according to uh, a book called The Great Themes of the Bible by Lewis Albert Banks, D.L. Moody once visited a prison called The Tombs to preach to the inmates there. After he had finished speaking, Moody talked with a number of men in their cells. He asked each prisoner this question, what brought you here? What, what brought you here? We could maybe even ask each other this question. And again and again, he received replies like, I, I don't necessarily need to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I was framed. I was falsely accused. I was given an unfair trial. Not one inmate would admit his guilt Finally, Moody found a man with his face buried in his hands, weeping. And he said, what's wrong, my friend? And the prisoner responded, my sins are more than I can bear. Relieved to find at least one man who would recognize his guilt and his need for forgiveness, the evangelist exclaimed, thank God for that. 
Moody then had the joy of pointing this man to his saving knowledge of Jesus, a knowledge that released him from his shackles of sin. In the words of Pastor Tim Keller, spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. In other words, to live as if there is no God or we are actually God. The universe should center around us. Can any of you relate to this at any level? Does anyone in here perhaps struggle with spiritual pride? If your answer is no, then the answer is probably yes. Now, what scriptures did Ezra read to the people in our passage, Nehemiah 8? Well, he read from, quote, the book of the law of Moses. So what is this referencing? Well, it's referencing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Therefore, he would have read Exodus 19, which God said to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, these words, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all the nations, uh, that out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. What an image, right? These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That's pretty amazing, right? And yet, what do we read over and over again in the Bible? We read things like Psalm uh, 78, verse 32, which states, in spite of this, in spite of all of this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. At least they didn't live like they believed. Which brings us right back to our passage today. Hunger for God's word always fosters humility before God himself. Look at this. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people. Since he was elevated above everyone, as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with all their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen and amen. And they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And moving down in our passage, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and do not weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. So what does biblical humility look like? It looks like standing up, lifting one's hands to the skies in reverence, kneeling down, putting one's face in the dirt and weeping before the Lord. Biblical humility is a total body expression of one's total reliance upon the Lord. I want us to see this. Biblical humility is a total body expression of one's total reliance upon the Lord. Listen, friends, any notion that lifting one's hands in worship or being expressive in worship is somehow immature is a modern, hyper-rationalistic, Western notion. 
Sure, we don't want to be a distraction or disorderly in worship, but what we see in Nehemiah is a people who first hunger for the word of God and then they're cut to the heart and their faces are in the dirt. Point two, be humble or humbled in your faith journey. And point three, be joyful in your faith journey. I'm going to lighten the mood here just for a minute. When's the last time you experienced crazy or fun joy? Or when's the last time you witnessed crazy or fun joy? A couple of weeks ago, as I was scrolling through social media, I came across an incredible post. Who here knows Garth Cook? Raise your hand. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Well, here's what Garth posted on September 13th. Quote, wow, just looking over 52 years of owning his music. From his first album, November 17th, 1970 to now, 45 records, cassette tapes, basement tapes, thanks courtesy of my big brother Dave, CD box sets and books. Five concerts later, today, or excuse me, tonight I officially say goodbye to Elton Hercules John. While sporting, here it is, the LA Dodgers sequins at the hometown Daniel Island show. What, me sentimental? Have we met? Thankfully, we, have all the, we all have the gift of his music forever. And then he posted these pictures with his statement and I just sat there stunned. <laughs> Honestly, I was blown away. I asked myself, would Garth really wear the onesie? Elton John sequins to the concert and guess what? Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Here's a picture of Garth. Our Garth. With his daughter, Alexa. And you know what? He makes the sequence look pretty good, doesn't he? More than that, in this picture, you can see the crazy joy of a loving father with his sweet daughter. Now, bringing this back to our passage today, friends, Joe, do you know God wants you and all of us to feel his joy today. The warmth and safety of his ever watchful, ever loving joy. He does. Listen to these words from verse 10. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. To quote Pastor Eric Mason, God wants us to be convicted of our sin, but he doesn't want us to stay in our sin. No, he does not. He wants to leave our life of shame and sin and find real joy in real life in him. And such is what we see in our passage. Once the people are convicted, what does Ezra call for? He calls for a party. He basically calls the people to get Hall's takeout and celebrate the grace and the goodness of God together. And that's what they do. They feast. But here's the thing. This moment would be temporary, just like the Elton John concert because the people of God would backslide again and again and again. But guess what? As we see in the rest of scripture, the love of God would prove to be anything but temporary. Now let's bridge the story from the Old to the New Testament, shall we? You with me still? Here it is. 
Do you remember what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds at Jesus' birth? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Moreover, do you remember what Jesus told his disciples during that cool talk in John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's compelling, isn't it? So Jesus not only brings joy for all people, but he promises that his joy will make our joy, quote unquote, complete. Wow, that's incredible. And yet if you're a skeptic in the room, you might ask, well, how, how did he do that? How will he do that? Let's go back to our passage. I love this phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love this phrase because strength can also be translated protection, protection. You got it, Jonathan? In other words, the passage can read, the joy of the Lord is your protection. And friends, what do we see in Jesus? We see the Son of God willing to go to hell and back, literally to offer God's love and protection to you and me. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, our shame, and our disgrace. Why? So we would not have to. He came to protect us so we can be free from our sin and experience God's radiant, ever watchful, ever caring joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your protection. How do we know, Paul? We know because of Jesus. So to land this sermon, to land this plane, one fellowship today, be hungry, even if you're new to Charleston, be hungry in your faith journey, hunger for God's word with us and do it with your friends and your family. And as we pursue the word of God together, uh, let it do its work in you. Let it strip you, let it strip you to the bone, even bringing your face to the dirt and your hands to the skies. That's not a bad place to be. Maybe that's exactly where you are right now and where God wants you to be. Be humble or humbled in your journey. And lastly, know that as you face dark times and dark patches in life, don't, you don't face them alone. You do not face them alone. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In Jesus, we have protection against anything and absolutely anyone, even death itself, we need not fear. So when God's word lands in your heart, what bursts forth is raw humility and radiant joy. And that joy ultimately finds its completion in who? In Jesus. So no matter who you are, no matter what your age, no matter your background, trust in Jesus today and find radiant, everlasting, ever caring joy. Place your trust in him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message, for this good news that causes us, causes us to, to get low so you can actually get high in our life. That you can, you can become the sovereign Lord that you are and we can just recognize that as we go it alone, that's a wayward path and a hopeless path. But with you, we're secure. Give us the warmth, no matter what we're facing today, give us the warmth of your joy through Jesus today. We pray in his name, amen.